Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in. My name is Sarah and I'm here today with Sanya, Zoe and Pascal. Today we're going to be discussing best practice intervention of post-traumatic scars and sharing with you all of our findings. Being a part of an allied health field, we are outcome-driven in providing the best care to our patients. In doing so, we are limited to understanding the psychological impacts that patients experience. In this scenario, it is related to scars after traumatic wounds. We formulated this study as there is a need for better clinical practice needed to manage scars so that psychological and financial distresses can be managed. Now for my PICO question under this broad topic, I decided to do research into in Fitzpatrick for and above patients with skin graft scars, will CO2 have less effects than PDL? CO2 being our carbon dioxide laser and PDL being our pulse dye laser. This topic took interest um, to me as someone who is personally a Fitzpatrick 4. I deal with a lot of PIH. I wanted to know what um, more about what is safer for those of a similar or darker skin type out there. I also find it incredible the treatment results that laser modalities yield. As many of you know, we have to be so careful when using lasers on a dark darkest Fitzpatrick skin type um, because of the enhanced side effect profile compared to our say Fitzpatrick 1 and 2. In research it was difficult to find articles that relate directly to CO2 skin grafts um, treatment on darker Fitzpatrick skin types and it was the same situation for the PDL. So what I did find was many articles about CO2 or PDL with the darker Fitzpatrick skin types um, or these modalities for skin graft scars. So there was maybe one or two that related directly to my PICO, but I basically had to draw information from all of these different articles. Um, so there weren't many studies that reported no side effects um, and the prevalence of side effects was um, more so when they used high affluence. So we are able to manipulate parameters and use low affluence to deliver a safe treatment, but this can also affect the treatment outcome. So we might not have the same results that we are after. Um, so although there was still like a high patient satisfaction rate with these modalities for skin graft scars, despite any adverse effects, so even reports of prolonged erythema, pigmentation, patients were still happy with the treatment outcomes. So I guess that's a part of balancing, you know, your risk um, and benefits. So coming to this conclusion, there is more evidence out there that suggests that CO2 is a safer treatment with less adverse effects than PDL within the patient group. Um, although I do believe it is something that needs to be more widely researched. And if it was more widely researched, we could come to a more solid conclusion. Um, there is just more that relates to CO2 with the darker Fitzpatrick skin types. So in saying this, because hyperpigmentation is such a common adverse effect, we should expect this to be an outcome and we need to prepare for it so that we can reduce the risk. 
Other adverse effects such as hypopigmentation and prolonged erythema, puritis, sometimes pain were reported in literature, although it was nowhere near as common as hyperpigmentation. So I advise that this is an aspect that we should focus on. We can do this through the use of topicals and test patching to ensure appropriate parameter selection, um, but it's also important to manage patient expectations. Thank you for listening. I will now pass the mic on. Thank you, Sarah, for the great information. Hey, everyone. My name is Sonia, and my findings were based on skin graft scars in relation to early intervention using platelet-rich plasma, PRP, and wound dressing methods. The diverse nature of skin grafts make them ubiquitous in recovery practices. In saying so, intervention for a better scar model is essential for practices within Australia and is in the scope of practice for dermal clinicians. The topic of research was brought with very little evidence on scarring caused due to skin grafts, hence the inclusion criteria was extensive. This included reviewing information about skin graft donocytes for early intervention at all anatomical locations of the body. PRP was evaluated separately and compared to a variety of wound dressings to get an insight on which method resulted in a better scar outcome. I only included studies with human subjects and research on animals was excluded. Further, it was hypothesized that faster and better wound healing would result in a lesser possibility of scar hypertrophy and or contracture. From there, the recommendations vastly indicated that PRP presented better skin graft adhesion during the wound healing phase as it significantly decreased complications associated with graft failure. In comparison, the different wound dressings being analysed were herbal gel extracts, Sabelle scar gel, Centella cream, Suprathel versus Mepilex, biomedical substitutes, collagen dressing and conventional dressing, which is gauze. There were improvements in scar pigment assessed using the Vancouver scar scale, but the evidence was not consistent across the different wound dressings to conclude its efficacy over PRP. The reduction of scar contracture was directly related to having a good wound healing model, and I rationalised my results on the basis of how short the inflammatory phase was. In conjunction with the increase in collagen production, via epidermal remodeling and the presence of growth factors and overall results from PRP triumphed over wound dressings. Both intervention methods aided in preventing infection. However, corroboration presented PRP initiated bioactive molecules within the wound healing bed, activating the immune response making it preferable intervention technique as it is not entirely dependent on an external factor for protection to achieve a better scar outcome. Some challenges that I faced during research was being able to find applicable material on scarring as a large amount of evidence was accumulated around wound contracture. 
there was a lack of high quality research such as systemic reviews and a poor selection criteria of evidence-based practices for wound dressings. Concluding, PRP is a better method of early intervention in comparison to wound dressings. However, a robust study is required to support this recommendation. I will now pass the mic to Zoe. Thank you for tuning in. Hi everyone, my name is Zoe. Thank you, Sarah and Sonia for the insight to your findings. Very, very interesting, Sonia, with the PRP method for scar management. I actually came across an article on that exact topic the other week and I was not aware it was a method used for scar management. So extremely insightful. And Sarah, I absolutely agree with you on many points as my PICO question was also based on laser therapies. However, my research looked into the early intervention of non-invasive laser therapies to improve scar quality post-skin graft procedures. Now, looking at my evidence summary, Australia alone has had a 2.1% annual increase in reconstructive surgical procedures where the majority of these procedures require skin grafts and a considerable number of patients are unfortunately left with the anesthetic appearance of scar formation. So, looking at laser therapies. Some can have a fair bit of downtime and cause more trauma to the patient, which may not be ideal if they have already suffered enough trauma leading up to their skin graft procedure. The downtime of the area of concern can be quite unpleasant too. This is what led me to researching non-invasive laser procedures over laser procedures in general. Now, I found my research topic to be quite broad, so I added a few filters for inclusion criteria and mesh terms to really narrow down my findings. Some of the terms I used included low-level laser therapy, MDAG 1064 nanometer, meta-analysis, randomized control trials, and systemic reviews. The methods used resulted in only four articles directly related to non-invasive laser and skin graft procedures. The other articles were on trials in relation to non-invasive laser procedures and post-surgical scars like pigmentary changes, hypertrophic, and keloid scars. A few of the themes I outlined were identifying if patients with thin split thickness grafts responded better than patients with full thickness grafts, and if the donor site's response was more desirable than the recipient site, and if a combination of non-pharmacological therapies had a better outcome than just non-invasive laser therapies on their own. Now, looking at the low-level laser therapy modalities, specifically the 650 nanometer and 808 nanometer wavelengths, proved to be among the best practice intervention for minimization of skin graft scars as this modality includes a cascade of wound healing responses and increasing tissue adherence to the recipient site, thus minimizing pigment changes and scar formation. Now, the NDAG 1064 nanometer genesis also proved to be effective in improving the scar um, quality of the scar tissue as it reduces growth factor and cytokine levels, which reduces vascularity of the scar and increases neocollagenesis. Now, my research proved to be quite tricky and it seemed like I was going down a bit of a rabbit hole as there are various types of skin graft methods along with where exactly the graft is donated from. Is it an autograft or an allograft? So is it from the patient itself or from a tissue donor? And are the trials being conducted on the donor site or the recipient site? 
Knowing these factors do influence the overall desired outcome, and some of the trials lacked in specifying what type of graft and which site was being evaluated. There is also an array of scales and tools used to measure scars pre and post procedure, and observation is dependent on the individual conducting the evaluation, which can vary. In summary, low-level laser therapy along with MDAG 1064 wavelength does have the ability to improve wound healing, overall scar quality, and aesthetic appearance outcomes. Combination therapies of silicone sheets, gels, Botox, scar creams, and pulse dye, um, pulse dye laser along with low-level light therapy and NDAG have also proved to be effective. There is definitely a need for universal preventative scar management guidelines, so the best appropriate. Thank you, Zoe. Hi, everyone. My name is Pascal. Wow, some great information from everyone today on best practice interventions for post-traumatic scars. Great point, Sarah. I'm also a fit for with post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation and scarring concerns. And working in this industry for such a long time, seeing PIHP in scars on darker skin types, finding ways to reduce this risk is such an advancement. Which leads me to my topic on post-surgical patients with post-traumatic scars. Does negative pressure wound therapy reduce and minimize the appearance of scars compared to nail therapy? Here are my findings. Many surgeons make over 200 million incisions a year. Some scars post-surgery can result in disfigurement, chronic pain, functional impairment, psychological burden, and itchiness, which can cause traumatic stress on patients. Negative pressure wound therapy, which is also known as vacuum-assistant closure, the vacuum sealing technique, vacuum sealing drainage, topical negative pressure therapy, subatomospheric pressure therapy, and foam suction dressing. This type of therapy is in clinical practices have been greatly suited for wound care and scar therapy. This type of treatment uses an open pore gauzing or a foam, which is then attached to a vacuum device. It, is, it then delivers a controlled negative pressure of minus 50 Hg to minus 125 Hg, which is then applied to the affected area. Clinical hypotheses indicate the removal of excessive, of excessive wound fluid and bacteria would initiate wound reduction and mechanical stimulation of granulation, epithelial growth, and neovascularization. Similar to Sonia, in my research, it was difficult to find resources on the treatment of scars using the NPWT, as a lot of the information was related to acute and chronic wounds, diabetic ulcers, and skin grafting. Other research has found open wounds and delayed healing and poor scarring to be some potential risk post-surgery, indicating that closed incision negative pressure therapy has been recommended to avoid such complications. However, in my research, I came across a systematic review evaluating the influence of incisional negative pressure wound therapy on scarring. It was found that preclinical studies state the use of NPWT reduces lateral tension on incision, increases wound strength, and reduces scar width. This study indicates patient-reported satisfaction with the outcome of their scars months post-surgery. Some clinical evidence shows a favorable effect on negative pressure wound therapy on scarring post-surgery, wound complications such as surgical site infections and wound adhesions, and a great improvement in scar quality. 
They also showed a decreased dermal scar width, height, scar color, and improved overall appearance. Improved perfusion on day four, day seven, and day 21. Improved collagen disposition and angiogenesis. Some studies found non-improvement in the treatment of hypertrophic scars with negative pressure wound therapy. Overall, long-time outcomes are more achievable in reducing the appearance of scars. Therefore, research suggests the use of NPWT has a beneficial effect on scar quality in general. Finally, just to wrap things up, there are so many best practice interventions available for the treatment and management of post-traumatic scars as outlined throughout this podcast tonight. As Sarah and Zoe mentioned, all the different laser options available for all skin types and the treatment results that laser modalities yield when treating scars and the high patient satisfaction rate with these modalities for skin graft scars despite adverse effects. This can all be achieved by meeting patient expectations with a thorough consultation. As Sonia mentioned, the reduction of scar contractures was directly related to having a good wound model, wound healing model, following a healthy lifestyle and diet. Significant results also showed with the increase in collagen production via epidermal remodeling and the presence of growth factors and overall results from PRP triumphed over wound dressings. These results indicate a growth in the industry of best practice utilising all aspects of the cosmetic and plastic services for best practice interventions for treating post-traumatic scars. So this comes to the end of the podcast. Thank you for listening in. Journals, articles can be found in the references if you're interested in a read. Have a good night, everyone. Cheers. Bye.